Thank you, Laurie, for that reading this morning. It's good to be with all of you and looking deeper into the meaning of these Psalms of David. Today, we are continuing our series on the book of Psalms called Honest to God. Now, if you are not a Christian or you are unfamiliar with these Psalms, the Psalms uh, is a kind of collection of 150 poems and songs and hymns that the Jews assembled for the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. Last week, we looked at the 139th Psalm, and we just talked about its honesty to God. We talked about how it began with the honest truth about God's character and then moved from that to being honest to God about our thoughts and feelings because the psalmist knows that God is trustworthy and reliable. The psalmist is able to be frank with God. And then at the very end, the psalmist opens himself up to hear God's honest thoughts about him. He says, Lord, search me and know me, test me, know my innermost thoughts. He's open to God's honest thoughts about him. But this week, we're moving on to talk about psalms of gratitude. And if you spend much time reading the psalms, you will find psalms that are full of thanksgiving. They just talk over and over about the wonderful things that God has done on behalf of his people. They're just overflowing with joy and gratitude. And this past week, I was talking to Allison about this sermon, and she and I were just talking about how there are so many obstacles to these psalms of gratitude. So many obstacles to being grateful. We have experienced a lot of suffering this year. If you've suffered a lot, if you've felt pain, if you've undergone any kind of trial this year, you might find it really difficult to find it in yourself to sing a psalm of gratitude. I mean, if anything, if you look through the psalms and you find the lament psalms, those seem easy this year, but the thanksgiving psalms aren't so easy. Psalms of gratitude can also be difficult for those of us who have a tendency to cynicism. And I can feel this way sometimes. We look at these songs of thankfulness and we, th- we think, they can't be serious They can't be sincere. Anyone who wrote this song or sings this song can't be authentic. Psalms of gratitude just look at the world with Pollyannish, rose-colored glasses. I think another obstacle to gratitude is the hard work we've done in our lives. And, And hard work is good, and we're so proud of it, but we look back on what we have, and we we see all the work we've done, and we say, well, who should I thank for that? I mean, I, I worked really hard for what I have, so why should I be grateful to God? And finally, I think one of the most prominent obstacles to gratitude is just their purpose. Why does God command us to sing these psalms of thanksgiving? I mean, if you're not a Christian, you might wonder, I mean, is this God needy or something? Does he always need us to constantly praise him? Now, these aren't the only obstacles to gratitude, but I think they're so prominent for all of us. We just struggle to enjoy and appreciate any of these psalms of thankfulness. 
but they really are a gift from God to us. In good times and in bad times, we need psalms of gratitude, and here's why. God gives us the psalms of gratitude to help us be more realistic. I want to say that again. God gives us these psalms of gratitude to, to not for us to deny reality, but to help us be more in touch with reality. And I want to walk through this psalm to show you why I think that. It begins with the, this kind of explosion of joy. David, the author of this psalm, says, I will exalt you, Lord. You lifted me out of the depths. You didn't let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. Now, it's not exactly clear what the problem was that David was going through that that God solved for him. Some scholars think that David is experiencing some sort of illness, and he was about to die. He was kind of at, at death's door. But at the very least, in the midst of that illness or sickness, David was arrogant. He was prideful. He even quotes himself. He says, when I felt secure, I said to myself, I will never be shaken. This is an ancient version of, I'm unstoppable. I can't be beat. I can't lose. But this idea doesn't last for very long. David says that God hides his face from David, that God withdraws his protection from David, and David is dismayed. So if we think that David may may have been sick, may have been at death's door, he calls out to God, he recognizes his pride and his arrogance, he prays and asks God for help, he cries for mercy, and he even uses arguments for God. He says, what is gained... If I am silenced, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? In other words, he asks God, what good will come of it if I die? Living people can praise you, but dead people can't sing. So, Lord, keep me alive. I want to live and sing your praises. Be merciful to me. Be my help. He almost makes a bargain with God. And I don't know if these arguments worked on God or if God was just being really merciful, but God somehow heals David. He saves him from this situation. He delivers him out of it, whatever it is. And David describes this deliverance like this. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Sackcloth was what Jews used for grief and mourning, and those were his clothes. He was wearing sackcloth, but he got new clothes of joy. And David says that what God does for him in this moment shows God's character. He says, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. God's mercy is greater than God's wrath. In verse 4, David stops addressing God for a second and actually turns to an audience, maybe an assembly of Jews who are all worshiping together, and he says to them, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people, praise his holy name. 
You can imagine King David telling his story to all of these people and then commanding them, now it's your turn. You need to praise God. You need to sing to Him. You need to worship and magnify Him. And David says that God did this, and there's only one proper response for David. He says, my heart will sing your praises. I won't be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Once God has done this for David, there's only one proper reaction. It's just to be grateful to God. Now, our obstacles to gratitude are many. They're not just the ones I mentioned. But I think most of them are based in the idea of something like this. Being thankful is just not being realistic. I mean, being grateful just isn't rooted in the way the world really is. I mean, if you think through these past seven months and you think about all the suffering that people have experienced, doesn't it just seem like a slap in the face to sing these songs of gratitude while the world is writhing with pain? Sometimes it just feels like gratitude in a time like this is just out of touch. Thanking God just seems like you're oblivious or maybe even insensitive to the pain of people around you. But here's the thing. Every psalm of gratitude knows suffering. Even this one, David, might be at death's door. He isn't oblivious to suffering. He doesn't think he's immune to any kind of difficulty. It's precisely because God is merciful when he spares David more pain that causes David to say, I will sing your praises forever. One scholar named Walter Brueggemann says that the psalms of lament and the psalms of praise are actually just two sides of the same bad event. The psalms of lament come on the front side of suffering, and the psalms of praise come right afterwards. The psalms of gratitude are not oblivious or Pollyannish. They don't ignore the suffering in the world. They just recognize that God can be so gracious to pull us out, to deliver us from more suffering. Now, for some of us, it may not be the pain in our lives or even this past year that makes us struggle with these psalms. It's just some of us have a natural bent towards cynicism. We see the dark cloud instead of the silver lining. And so when the psalmist recognizes God's mercy, some of us cynics can kind of roll our eyes. I say this as someone who has struggled with this. I can kind of just wave my hand and dismiss good things in life in generic ways, you know? I have go-to phrases like, well, things just worked out this time. But what I'm not recognizing when I'm cynical is God's providence, His intervention, His direct action in our lives to save us and deliver us. There's one scholar named Glenn Pemberton. He works at ACU, and he was commenting on this psalm, and he says, no one other than God and nothing less than an act of God has saved David. When I'm cynical, I'm wrongly assuming that God is not involved in the good gifts in my life. And what David knows better than me in those moments is that God is always the source of good gifts. Another obstacle we talked about is hard work. 
When someone tells you, when someone like me tells you to be grateful for the things in your life, you might look back over a life of a lot of difficulty. And you'd think, you'd say, Mitch, look, I've had to overcome a lot of obstacles in my life. And even if you don't say it out loud, you might think, Mitch, who should I thank for what I have? I've worked my fingers to the bone to get what I have. Now, I think hard work is important, and I won't deny anyone's hard work. But we have to ask ourselves, even when we've worked hard in our lives, where did we get our hard work ethic from? Who taught us hard work? When did we sit down and choose diligence? And even if we are hardworking, even if we've overcome so many obstacles in our life, what God ensured that there would be anything resulting from that hard work? If we want to be realistic, the Psalms of gratitude help us understand that even our best efforts, even our hardest work can be traced back to God's grace and mercy. Finally, I think some of us are uncomfortable with these Psalms because we just don't get their purpose you may be watching right now, and you're not a Christian, and you wonder, why, why should I sing these psalms of thankfulness? I mean, it's just strange that God commands us to worship Him. Does He really need all of us to sing His praises all day? But I don't think that's why God commands us to worship. I think we worship God because it's just the right response. In the, in the fall of 2016... Allison and I went with a few friends to the Grand Canyon. We drove from, this all happened in one weekend, by the way. We, we drove from Abilene in West Texas to Arizona and back in one weekend. We drove to New Mexico on Thursday, got up early on Friday, drove the rest of the way to the canyon. We spent the night in a tent, woke up at 5 a.m. on Saturday. We walked a mile through switchbacks into the canyon, and then we hiked back up out of the canyon. We drove to New Mexico the same day, got up early on Sunday, then drove all the way back to Abilene, and then went to class on Monday. And the trip was totally worth it. It was absolutely, unbelievably amazing. What we saw was worthy of 26 hours in the car. What we experienced was so incredible, it was worth 890 miles on the road just to get there. And the only right response when you walk up to the Grand Canyon and you finally take in that vista with a huge deep breath, the only right response is delight and joy. The only right response is to look at it and then look at your friends looking at it and then look back at it because it's so unbelievably amazing. And likewise, the only realistic response to God who created the universe is even more awe and thankfulness. This is the natural response to good and true and beautiful things. You stare at the Grand Canyon in awe. You're proud at the achievements of your daughter. You're stunned by the beauty of your wife. You change your face when you taste something delicious. It's just the right response to something that's good and true and beautiful. And the only right response to the creator of the universe and the savior of all mankind from sin and death and slavery is 
worship. I mean, if I got to the Grand Canyon and I just shrugged, something would not be wrong with the Grand Canyon. Something would be wrong with me. If I was numb to it, bored by it, and unimpressed, something needs to change in me. And if we don't respond to God with gratitude, I just don't think we're being realistic. We need these psalms of gratitude to be more realistic and not less. We don't want to be so cynical or so callous that we place ourselves above joy and gratitude. We don't want to trust so deeply in our own hard work that we can't recognize that our work ethic is from God. We want to be so realistic that we can enjoy God's good gifts. The Apostle Paul asks us this really helpful question. What do you have that you have not received? One writer translated it this way. If you subtract what God has given you from what you have, there is no remainder. Gratitude to God is just math. What you have minus what God has given is nothing. There is no portion of your life which you can truly say, that is thanks to me and me alone. The Apostle James wrote, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We can find healing in these psalms of gratitude. Uh, David Taylor has this great book on the Psalms called Open and Unafraid, and he tells the story of a business student named Tim who came to his church uh, that he ministered for, and this student was very straight-laced. He wore khaki pants and dress shirts and was very clean-cut, but Tim would stand during the worship service at the end of the pew, and he would dance the whole time. And uh, Taylor would say, you know, the dance kind of can be described as part hopscotch, part hand wind, like hand windmill. That's the best way he could describe it. He said he looks like Maria Von Trapp singing, The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music. And I read this story, and I, I just laughed so hard because I thought, I would never dance in church. I would not do that to you, because it would be so unfortunate for your faith and your relationship with God. And so, I, I just, I would never impose that upon you. But I started looking back through the Psalms and seeing how much these these psalmists dance. The psalm we read today said, He turns my morning into dancing. Psalm 149 says, Let us praise His name with dancing and make music to the Lord. King David himself danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The psalms constantly use words like shouting and bursting and reveling and resounding and clapping and thundering and crying and exulting. And so when I, being cynical, look down my nose at these psalms of gratitude or anyone who enjoys them, something is not wrong with the psalms. Something in my soul needs healing. Our souls need the healing that comes from these psalms of gratitude. And the really good news is you don't have to wait until life is good to sing these psalms. In 1942... There's a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote to his fellow persecuted Christians in Germany under the Nazi regime, and he begins his letter by naming all of the martyrs. 
naming all of the men and women who have died for their faith. And he says to encourage others, everlasting joy will crown their heads. For all their suffering in this life, God will give them joy in the next life. But he reassures them, and this is so important, joy isn't just for the dead only, but also for the living. He says, the joy of God has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Joy does not deny affliction when it is there, but finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. Joy looks death in the face, and it's right there that joy finds life. So when we read these psalms and we find one that has joy and gratitude, don't skip it, don't roll your eyes at it, enjoy it. It's precisely in times of suffering like this year that we need eyes to find joy. One of my favorite phrases in the Psalms is the joy of the Lord. We can often use that phrase as a way to describe a a fellow Christian. We will say, you know, they trust in God so much they have the joy of the Lord. And I think that's true. I've met Christians who have the joy of the Lord. But I think the joy of the Lord also refers to God's own joy. I don't know why, but I kind of grew up with this picture of God always being very serious and somber. But God is not perpetually dissatisfied or disgruntled or grumpy. God is perfectly joyful. He is stubbornly delightful in his innermost being. And joy was, this, uh, was an also a way to describe Jesus. The author of Hebrews uses that word joy to describe Jesus' mission in the world. He said, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus did everything he did with joy. And he wants us to be full of his joy, to receive joy from him. And my prayer is that we would receive these psalms of gratitude and we would know that the Lord is joyful and he wants us to have his joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that these psalms give us joy and gratitude. Some of us feel cynical and callous. Some of us have gone through so much this year, we can't find it in ourselves to be grateful. Some of us have worked so hard to overcome obstacles in our life. And we just think, why, why do we need to be grateful? But Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us. We pray for gratitude. We pray for the ability to recognize all the gifts you've given us and say thank you. We don't ever want to deny the suffering in the world. We never never want to pretend like we aren't in pain. But we also want to be realistic enough to see all the good gifts you've given us to recognize them, to appreciate them, to enjoy them and cherish them. 
We pray for your eyes to see those good gifts and revel in them. We pray that we would have the joy of the Lord. We want your joy that's indestructible, that can persist and endure through anything. We pray that we would be like Jesus, marked by joy. We pray all this in his name. Amen.